0: All right, why don't we stand and I'll pray so we can kind of stretch our legs a little bit and reset here. All right. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. I'm so grateful for the men and women of God here who take sound doctrine seriously, who take standing on your word deadly seriously. We want to be focused. We want to be laser focused on the things that matter most. And uh, there are a lot of things that matter, God, but we cannot neglect the seriousness of solid biblical theology doctrine. And so help us, Lord, to grow in that always and help us in our discernment. I thank you, Father, for uh, the series that we're currently working through. And I thank you, Lord, that these are weighty things that we're talking about. They can be offensive. Many people have been, unfortunately, put off by it and at times even abused and that grieves my heart deeply, and I know it grieves you, Father. So I pray that none of that baggage would filter into our service today as we deal with a very important biblical topic, and that is giving, giving financially. And so uh, it's crucial for the health of the church, and I do believe it's a marker of a healthy church, among many other things. So, Father, I pray that you would please help us not only to learn these things and agree with these things, but to actually act on them, and to do so consistently, for there is much work to be done, Father, and so uh, we love you, we thank you, please minister to our hearts today through your word, we trust that you will, and we praise you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. i got a smaller mason jar this week, <laughs> seems a little more proportionate. Okay, and one last call for youth ministry. Uh, It is happening out the back. Uh, We have um, high school, middle school age. They're back there doing their thing, and it's a blessing, so uh, it's been going great. It's been rocking, so uh, if there's anyone in here, now's your chance. All right, cool. All right, so as I said, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about if I were to say there's one word that's the operative word in kind of every single message, it's kind of tied every message together, I'm afraid if I were to ask, you wouldn't be able to tell me. So I'm not going to ask you to say it. I'm going to tell you what it is, and next week when I ask, you're going to be able to tell me. It's the word commitment. It's the word commitment. You got that? Next week when I say, what's the word? Everyone's going to say, commitment. That's right. And so I had said back in the beginning of this series that, Anything worth having in this life requires commitment. It requires commitment and dedication, and we get that. If we want to have a good, solid, healthy marriage, you got to be committed. you got to be dedicated. If you want to excel in fitness, diet, exercise, if you want to excel in your career, in your hobby, any particular skill that you want to improve upon, you have to be committed to it, right? If it didn't require commitment and dedication, everybody could do it, and everybody would be good at everything. There's a reason why there are so many things that we want to be good at, but we aren't because we just don't have the commitment or the dedication to it. And so we all understand this principle that commitment is absolutely necessary. And such is the case in the body of Christ. If we want the church to be as strong as it could be and should be, we have to have a body of committed believers, committed to Christ, committed to each other. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, I started talking specifically about being committed to participating committed to participating to being present to be engaged and then also to participate and so i uh talked about using our spiritual gifts remember that you got a gift it's been given to you by the holy spirit participate use your gift talked about the one another's in the New Testament, the way we're to pray for one another, serve one another, love one another, even confess our sins one to another. Uh, The one another's of the New Testament, that's part of being present and participating. And again, I'll just give a plug for the home fellowship groups. There's no greater way to start to really plug in and have those relationships be built and to be able to fellowship than through a home fellowship group. And we have several going right now. And so the goal is to get as many of our people here uh, in those groups as we can. And so if you're not in a home fellowship group, talk to me or one of the pastors and, and we can get you plugged in. That's all part of being present and participating, right? Does that make sense? Well, last week we started talking about giving, tithing as a very important aspect of participating in the body of Christ. Now, let me just say we've been talking about membership. We're going to be doing an official membership. I was told formal is a scary word, so let me say official. Is official scary? Official sounds kind of nice. Sounds good, right? It sounds very official. And so we're going to be doing official membership. And so these are things that we want people to understand that are important and to be serious about. Now, that does not mean that uh, we're going to be watching you. And taking marks of how good you're doing in these areas. You know, I had a friend in South Carolina. He was going to this mega church. And, um, boy, they were big on giving. And that was like their thing. And so he was going there. I think he was a member. And he said, man, those, they called my house and said, brother so-and-so, we noticed you hadn't been here lately. You haven't been giving. Do we need to send a prayer team to your house? And I'm like, "What is? Is this some kind of mob mobster stuff? We're going to send a prayer team to your house, homie. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to tighten you up. We're going to get that money." And so, yeah, you know, that's not what we're talking about when we say we want to do membership. We just want you to know the things that are important to us and the things that we hope you would be willing to give yourself to as God would have you, as God would lead. And so, um last week as we started talking about giving uh we considered really the biblical motivations why why should we like what what compels us from the word of god to give and we looked at things such as god himself gave generously god is so very generous he gave his son god loves generosity remember he loves a a cheerful giver a hilarious giver uh, Jesus was the ultimate example of generosity. He gave in the most radical way. He gave himself, and we're to be uh, follow his example. And so that's, that's one big reason why we give. Uh, we reflect God's image when we give. Since God himself is generous, since God has given and we're created in his image, when we give, we are reflecting something of God's nature, character, and glory. And since we were created to give God glory, that's one great way that we do it. And God loves that. He's blessed by it. And then I talked about how giving generously, it communicates, it expresses love, devotion, worship, and gratitude. So when we put money in the box in the back or online, it's a big deal. It's not just checking off a box so that we can say we've done our religious duty. It's not to appease our conscience somehow. It is worship, it's meaningful, it's faith, it's gratitude. And I hope that when you give, you approach it like that, that you really take the time to savor the flavor of the moment and worship God, thank Him, praise Him, and then give to Him. Amen? And so, we're in a three-week series, because as I said, I had 18 points, um, and that's a lot. Um, and so I've kind of whittled a couple of those points down. I found I was able to kind of move some stuff around. But we're doing we're second weekend to our three-week series. And this really is my opportunity as the pastor, as the leader, to say all the things that I feel like I need to say. Right? I mean, it's not like from here on out every single Sunday you're going to be getting this, like, drilled in, you know. But this is my shot, and I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm going to come out swinging haymakers, and so um, so I'm going to say some hard things, and I'm going to speak very directly to you guys. I, I expect that when you all come here, that's what you want, right? You want me just to be real with you, yes? yes. Permission to keep it real? Yes. Okay, well, that's, that's what I want to do, and nothing, nothing less than that. And so I want to tell you kind of how we're doing, where we're at, what the needs are, and, and all of that kind of stuff, so we're on the same page. I said last week that I was preaching for a response, preaching for change. Undoubtedly, we hear these things, and we're quick to amen them and believe them, but to do do these things and do it consistently, that's a whole other deal. And I want to talk about that today. Now, I keep using the word generosity, and generosity is what the Bible calls for, and it is good. But as I've come to understand, really the majority of our church doesn't give at all doesn't give it all it's really on uh, a select handful of people that are giving that are keeping things moving and I don't know uh, who gives that's by design the elders here we just we don't know we don't wanna know I don't wanna know it's not my business first off secondly that can throw stumbling blocks in front of pastors you know when pastors know who the big givers are when they have to have a hard conversation or say something they might be tempted to just sugarcoat it a little bit right And so we just don't ever want to set our elders up to be in a position like that. You know, I heard a story. There was this pastor, new pastor. He went to a new town, new church. And uh, there were two men, two brothers in the church. And they were notoriously wicked guys. Just known for it, bad guys. Well, one of the brothers died. And so the, the, the other brother who was still alive came to this new pastor. Said, here's the deal. You're going to do my brother's funeral, and I want you to say that he was an angel, and I'm going to give you a million dollars, million dollars. So the new pastor was like, oh, man, what do I do? What do I do? And so he, he, the day came of the funeral. He got up there, and he said, this guy, we all know it. We all know that he was a dirty, rotten, stinking scoundrel. But compared to his brother, he's an angel. (laughs) See, that was slick. So we just don't want to set the pastors up to have to even deal with those kinds of things. So the pastors just don't know. We don't know. So just kind of know that. But as the leaders of the church, as we try to set the budget and kind of understand what's, have our finger on the pulse of the church, how are things going, how are we doing, it was brought to my attention, and I was startled, and it kind of sent set up the kind of the red alert, and I realized I, this is my, my fault, I got to own this, I have not taught as I should have on these things. i have not led as I should have on these things. And something that Pastor Dan and I have talked about a number of times over is if we're not leading in any particular area, we can't expect people to, to be doing well in those areas. It falls on the leaders to lead. And so I, I own that because I said I've just always been afraid to talk about these kinds of things um, because, well, we all know why. And so I just have neglected it. And I, I realize now that was, that was poor leadership on my part. I've had to repent of that and, and lean into it. And so, you know, with that, I say we're, it's kind of critical. It's crucial. We've had to make some serious cuts. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the sermon. Um, but I am so confident that this year is going to be different and that we're going to see God do some awesome things. We already have been seeing God do some awesome things. I'm excited. And so I want to move you guys. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I'm not trying to manipulate or coerce. I want to, I want to encourage you. I want to move you. I want to lead you. Amen? Amen? And so that's what this is. That's what this is. I want to get us excited about getting in the game and participating on some level. So in, in the text, in the, our message today, I'm going to really consider a few things. One, God blesses giving we know that to be the, the case. God blesses our giving. Two, God blesses us so that we can give. God blesses us so that we can give. God responds to our giving in kind. So if we give generously, we receive generously. If we don't, we, you know, we don't receive generously. That's what the, the scriptures say. We'll, we'll like examine that. And then I'd really like to close on the note of ownership. Ownership. We've got to own this collectively. Right? We're all in this together. We all own this. It's not me and you. It's not the pastors and you. It's us. This is our church, and we own it. Amen? Okay. So, with that, I only have two, uh, two points today. And so, um, the first one is God's grace is what empowers us to be generous. It's by God's grace. God's grace does that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1, it says this, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity. So Paul says, I want to tell you guys something. I want to tell you about the grace of God in the churches of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a region. Does anybody know what some of the churches would be there? Macedonia. Hmm? Philippi, very good. That's one. Another one? That's a good guess, but not quite. Thessalonica. All right, good. And then Berea. There are others, but those are a few that are mentioned in the the church. Ephesus is over in Asia Minor, and there's a bunch of churches in there as well. So you still get credit. Still get credit. My pastor in South Carolina used to give out ice cream cards for people that could answer his questions. So I doubt we'll do that. (laughs) This is California. I don't think people get as excited about it as they do in the South. All right, so... Paul said, I want to tell you about the grace of God in Macedonia. Now, these churches were poor. They were heavily persecuted. And Paul said that even in the midst of that, even in the midst of their poverty and persecution by God's grace, they were incredibly generous to the needs of the saints. So, Paul's using the Macedonian churches as an example to the Corinthians. And so, what exactly is god's grace usually when we say that we're quick to say you know uh unmerited favor undeserved favor and that's true it's true grace is that it's a gift it's something that we do not deserve so when god is kind to us when he is favorable towards us when he blesses us when he gives us strength that's all that's all grace it's something that we don't deserve it's something that god gives us because he himself is gracious you know, this idea of grace, favor. My wife and my daughters, I, I, with all of the power that I have, my favor is is on them. It's for them. If there's any way that I can bless them, care for them, serve them, shower them with goodness, good things, you best believe I'm all about it. Because they're worthy. They're deserving. That is my covenant bride, my best friend. Those are my beautiful baby girls. You understand? And so... Daddy is very favorable. Jess said, don't don't call yourself daddy when you're talking to me. And I'm like, sorry. It's a habit, you know. Um, At any rate, well, with God, he showers that kind of blessing on us, and we are not worthy. We are not deserving. We deserve the opposite. And that's what makes his grace so amazing. It's amazing grace because we are not deserving. It's because God is so gracious and kind and loving. And Paul said that is what causes churches who are being persecuted and who are deeply impoverished, that is what causes them to be able to give and to do so generously. And they did so joyfully and eagerly. So Paul said it was all God's grace. So you understand we are saved by God's grace we are kept by God's grace, we are gifted by God's grace, and we are empowered by God's grace. Every good thing that we enjoy from the hand of God is God's grace. Amen? And it's nothing less than that. And so if we are recipients of God's good, kind favor, we are going to be inclined to do that. We're going to be inclined to be gracious. Isn't it true that every good thing that we receive from God, He expects us to share? We've been forgiven, so we're expected, commanded to forgive, right? We have received love from God, we are expected to love others. In fact, it says if we don't love others, it's because we don't really have the love of God. You understand? And so we have received the favor of God, we are expected to share the favor of God. We are inclined to be gracious. And if you are a child of God, then He will give you the grace to do His will. I love that. God tells us what He wants us to do, and then He gives us the means to do it. He's good like that. And so why is this important? Why is this issue of grace so important? It's because we need God's grace to be able to give. We need it. I was reflecting on this this past week. Considering this colossal mountain in front of me to try to encourage people to implement a new discipline in their life. I mean, is that, that's hard. I mean, maybe it's just me, but anytime I try to implement a new discipline or habit, it's a, just a, it seems dangerous near impossible, don't it? Whoever came up with that, if you can do it for 30 days, it'll be a habit, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish. It just, I, that has never worked for me. I've done plenty of things for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and, uh, and then it stops just like that, and then you revert back to whatever, you know what I mean? And so it I recognize that this is asking a lot to encourage folks who maybe haven't made giving a discipline in their life or a, a consistent pattern or habit to now be able to get people to do that because giving giving once or twice that's a blessing but to be able to give consistently that's what really matters that's what really counts right and so that's what is really necessary and so it is hard to make it in napa it just it is it's hard to make it in napa it's just insanely expensive out here insanely expensive and so, you know, I just remember when I was living in Tennessee and we were thinking about moving out here, I started looking online at the, the rent out here. And it was just ten times more than what I was paying in Tennessee. I was living, this is a unique situation, but I was living in, a, in a, an apartment in the top of an um, antique shop house the house was older than the Civil War and it had been remodeled into an antique store and we were paying two hundred dollars a month and that included power and water. And so um that wasn't the only time I found myself in a situation like that. And I'm like looking at rent out here and it's anywhere from two thousand to you know three thousand dollars and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I was like, God you're gonna have to provide and he did. Big surprise. He provides But I'm just acknowledging the obvious. We're all thinking it, man. It is hard to make it here. It's hard. And so it's like, how in the world, Lord, am I going to be able to encourage and and move your people to be able to give and give consistently? And you know what it is? It's God's grace. God's grace is what's going to do it. If the Macedonians were able to do it in deep trial of affliction and poverty, by God's grace, we can too. If they could do it joyfully, sacrificially, generously, we can too. By God's grace. Amen? And I am confident that we will because it's God's grace. It's God's grace. That's what I'm banking on here. I'm banking on God's faithfulness, God's graciousness. That's my confidence. I know that's our, that's our hope and our confidence. So that leads us to point number two. And this is where we'll spend the majority of our time. So God's grace empowers us to be able to give, but God responds to how we give. God responds. God responds to our giving, or lack thereof. And so there are a lot of verses that we're going to look at that say that if we give generously, God will make it come back to us generously. If we withhold, God withholds. And so, we'll we'll address that. We'll, we'll deal with that as, as we go. But um, God responds. God reacts to our giving. 2 Corinthians 9.6 It says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, here we have the principle of sowing and reaping. And so, most of us probably know what that means, but just in case, you know, I, we, sometimes I think we take biblical language for granted, even though it's more agricultural. Sowing would simply be to, to scatter seed. You, know, you want to grow grass in your yard, you got to scatter seed out onto, onto the dirt to start to see the, the grass grow, right? We get that. And so reaping probably doesn't work so well with uh, grass, but like if you grow corn or you know, whatever, something like that, uh, you, you scatter the seed after it rains and the sun, and over time and its season, the, the, the produce comes, and then you go through and you glean it. You, you harvest it. You reap it. Following me? It's simple. Sowing and reaping. And the idea is that you're going to get out what you put in. That's, that's simply to, to put it in plain language. If you plant apple seeds you're going to get an apple tree. You're not going to get an orange tree, right? If you plant apple seeds, you're going to get an apple tree. If you plant a lot of apple seeds, you're going to get what? A lot of apple trees. This is very basic stuff, right? And so I know I'm not wowing you right now. I just want to make sure that we're all, we're all together on this. Sowing and reaping is a universal principle with God, and it applies to many areas of our life good and bad the bible says that if you sow to the flesh you will of the flesh reap corruption so we all know this well if we if we invest and give to the lust of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life we know what that will bring forth and it's not good it's not good right and so this principle really it it doesn't even just deal with finances it deals with many different things But the same can be said: if we sow into God's kingdom, we will reap a spiritual harvest. A spiritual harvest. Now, first thing I want to say is, do not confuse this with karma. Karma, you know that just there's this force out there in the world, in the universe, and you know it's basically if you do good things, good things are going to come back to you, and vice versa. A lot of people really believe believe that kind of stuff. It's superstition robs God of His glory. I don't know if anybody in here is superstitious, you know, jinx, that kind of stuff. You know, I like to tell people, you are robbing God of His glory. God is sovereign, all right? And so, don't be superstitious, and don't think that we're talking about karma here, because that's not what this is. It is God who is working. That's that's what amazes me. These principles that we're talking about, it's not because there's just some force in the universe that sees to it. The living God, the maker of heaven and earth, has set these principles in motion and says, if you will do this, I will respond in kind. Okay? So that's what we're talking about here. We're ultimately talking about the truth and the faithfulness of God to his word. Now as a I, I will also say that this is a concept that is totally abused by prosperity preachers. Sow a seed of faith. God told me to tell you. <laughs> told me to tell you. I got a word. Somebody in here. He's saying, sow a seed of thousand dollars. Sow a seed of five thousand dollars. And you know, you'll you'll see guys on TV call in right now and, you know, Isaiah 55, I'm just throwing some a random verse, 55 verse 3, sow a seed of $55.03, you know, and, and receive the blessing. And uh, that stuff, we all know that stuff goes on like crazy. And I've seen women, you know, this one lady I knew in particular gave her last $100 uh, one time to that. And that that's, you know, it's heinous, man, but that stuff's out there. And so it's There's abuse that that comes with this kind of stuff. You know, there are all kinds of examples of people perverting and distorting or manipulating giving. There just is. You know, I talked about the the sending a prayer team to your house, the goon squad, right? Um, You know, I got a prayer wallet. It's a special wallet. Send in $20 and you'll get this wallet. And every time you open that wallet, there's going to be money in it. That's legit. People really do that kind of stuff on TV. And I'm just thinking, well, if that's true, why do you need my money? Open the wallet up. <laughs> you got your own prayer wallet. You don't need my wallet. <clears throat> and so those, those kinds of things, they abound. They always will. <clears throat> Satan has his counterfeits. It's just as simple as that. And so, as a result of these kinds of things, you know, we swing to the other extreme and we neglect the issue of giving. That's been what I've done in a lot of ways. Neglect it, apologize for it when I start talking about it. And so, there's got to be the balance. You know, the Bible plainly teaches that if we sow, we will reap. And it specifically teaches that if we sow financially, we will reap. We will reap. And so, I want to talk about that a little bit. the Bible says that if we sow financially, we will reap a reward. So what does that mean exactly? Well, I think that this happens in a few different ways. And I would say the most important one, first and foremost, if we give, we will receive heavenly rewards. Now, that's the most important thing as Christians that we are supposed to concern ourselves with. And it's probably the thing that we care the least about because we're very much here and now type people. I know I am. I'm not often thinking about the there and then. I'm thinking about here and now, and I'm just trying to make it, you know? And so the Bible makes a huge deal about storing up treasure in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't be too worried about storing up treasure down here because it's all going to fade away. It's going to be lost. You know, you want to store up treasure in heaven where the thief cannot steal, where the, the moth and rust cannot destroy. And so that's number one. When we give... God sees that, and God rewards that. And on that great day when we're standing before God, that's all we're really going to be concerned about. And a lot of us are going to be standing there with nothing to show. And I'm not just talking about giving you know, financially, but in a lot of ways. Everything's just going to burn up. We did nothing with what God gave us down here. We're going to be like that servant who took the talent that God gave us and buried it in the ground. And so we don't think too much about those things right now, but one day we're going to wish we had of, and it's going to be too late. And so we need to think about those things here now. When we give to the Lord, we are storing up treasure in heaven, and that's the treasure that matters more than anything. And we only have so much time to build that bank account up, whatever that is going to be when we get there. And so think about that kind of stuff. When you serve, when you give, you are building, you are investing in a heavenly bank account. And I heard a prosperity preacher say, but that don't mean that we can't withdraw here and now. I'm like, come on, man, give me a break. Anyways, I'm sorry. So we are investing in heavenly reward ultimately. Now, secondly, we are blessed when we give because Jesus said it is more what? Blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that what he said? Jesus said that, it is more blessed to give than to receive, and I think we all know that. We know, believe me, I've been blessed to receive. There have been times when I was in dire straits, and God came through, and, and you know, people had my back, and I was praising God for it, and that felt pretty good. But you know what? It feels so good to be able to be the person to give, and to be able to serve and meet a need, to be a messenger of God in that regard, to care for the needs of others. And Jesus said it. And if he said it, it's truth, point blank. Jesus said it, it's truth. Now God, another way, God may make it come back to us in some other way. You know, if you are, I love this about God. He, he, he cares about, you know, he rewards us and gives us with things that are most suitable to our needs. You know, I've heard it said that uh, if a guy is on death row... There are all kinds of gifts that you could give him, but the most suitable gift would be a pardon. That's what he really needs, right? He needs a pardon. Pretty much nothing else matters outside of that because he's getting ready to die. And so Jesus was the greatest gift that was most suitable for our greatest need. You understand that? Because we were dead in trespass and sin. We were separated from a holy God, headed toward hell. And heading there rapidly. And God, who is rich in mercy and grace and kindness, He met our greatest, most pressing, most urgent, most suitable need through His Son, Jesus Christ. He provide, provided the sacrifice, the offering for our sins so that we would be forgiven, cleansed, washed, renewed, reborn, born again. Amen? Amen? So God is concerned with... Those things which are most suitable to our our needs, our greatest needs. And so sometimes when we give financially, we don't necessarily need it to come back to us financially, but we have other areas of need. And so as we're giving generously towards God, God blesses us in other areas, other needs that we may have. God makes it come back to us in other ways. And ultimately, God blesses our generosity so that we can be more generous And I will say that's the key. That's the key. God blesses generosity so what? We can be more generous. I'm seeing some eyes closing out here, several. So, you know, try to hang in here with me. This is important. This is important. God blesses us so that we can be more generous. And that's important because for a lot of us, it's hard to be generous because we ain't got much to be generous with. And God says, if you'll be generous, I will bless you so that you can be generous continually. And so, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 tells us that. It says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God is, and look, there's that word. God is able to make all what? Grace Abound toward you so that you have everything you need, all sufficiency, in all things, and you may have an abundance for every good work. That's, that's the goal. That's God's goal. God's goal is to supply us so that we can give. You may be thinking, I just cannot afford to give. I just can't. And I certainly understand that. I understand how, what, what, what that is like. But the Bible says that if we will by faith step out and give, God will give us more so that we can continue to give, so that we can be givers. You have to start the process and step out in faith. This is God's word. This ain't my word. If I'm up here trying to ask you guys to give sacrificially, I don't want that hanging on me. You understand? I, I, I want to sleep at night. I'm not trying to have that on my conscience. I'm not trying to push people to give when they're already struggling. That's just what God's word says. And I'm duty-bound to say what God's word says, Right? And so, it's His promises. It ain't mine. It ain't me. I'm just up here trying to lead biblically, lead according to God's Word. And so, I realize that the idea of giving so that we can get, you know, the idea of getting more so that we can give more, it might not be very appealing to a lot of people. They hear that and they just, you know, that doesn't excite them. Yeah, get get more so I can give more. Which is why a lot of churches will generalize this and say, give so that God will just bless your life. Right? Because they bring it back on us. You know, and that sounds good. That moves people. I want a blessed life. So, yeah, all you got to do is give. As simple as that. Give financially and God's just going to bless you. And that's, that's just pretty generic. That's pretty general. It's pretty self-focused. That is, ultimately, let's call it what it is, it's giving to get. It's giving to get. And that's not what I'm talking about here. Not giving so that we can get and be lavish and be balling out of control, right? We are giving and then receiving so that we can give and receive. And it just becomes this cycle. You know, bottom line, do we believe what God's Word says? Do we believe it? Do we really believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do we believe that? then let's obey God's Word and by God's grace have a culture of giving. And that's something that I want for our church. You know, I think about the worship, the singing, the congregational singing. I don't think I'm going to make it through this sermon today. That's okay. Um, I whittled it down to two points, and I was still, anyway. As a pastor, you think about the culture of worship you know, how are we doing? You come in the room and you can't hear anybody singing. Like, what is, what is that? You know, we are people, we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Do we have something to sing about? Do we? Then it's, you called, I answered. That's how we sing. (laughs) That's how we sing. That's, you know, congregational singing. I want to be able to hear the congregation singing collectively with one voice louder than I can hear the worship, the, the music on the, on the stage. Can we, can we work on that? Can we work on that? Can we sing like we mean it? Can we sing like we've been redeemed? Psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. All right, we need to sing like we believe it, sing like it's true. That's the culture of the church. Are we a serving church, you know? Is that just baked into the culture of our church? Are we a giving church? Are we an inviting and a welcoming church? You know, we'll talk more about that later, but those are the kinds of things you look at, as, and that really describes the culture. Is generosity in the culture of our church. Does that describe us? Is it the kind of thing where we are all just looking for ways to give and just to bless and to meet needs? It's just a part of who we are because we really believe that God is faithful to his word and that God will really bless it and that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. Well, lest we think that this is some kind of an isolated concept, I just want to share a couple other verses to this end. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, it will be put into your lap with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So this is kind of, I always thought, what in the world does that even mean? And I never really looked into it. But this is like um, harvesting grain. And so you got a sack, and grain is being poured into it, and it's starting to fill up. So now you're pressing it down in there. You're trying to compact the grain, but it's still pouring in. So what do you do? You start shaking it so that it will it'll settle and compress. But it's still pouring in, and now it's pouring out, and you literally have to use your, your shirt to catch what is still coming out. That's, that's basically the process that Jesus is describing. And he says, that's what it's like when you give to God. That's what it's like when you give to God. You give to God, and he just pours it out on you like that. Amen. He will never be indebted to us. You know? So he says that the measure that you use to give, it will be measured back to you. So how are we doing How are we giving? How are we doing in that area? Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, this is agricultural language. Give to God the best and he will bless that. Now, this seems counterintuitive. I don't know a lot about farming and whatnot, but as I understand it, the best of the crop, you want to take the seeds from that and you want to plant that. Right, you're not gonna give the best away and then try to replant kind of what's left over, but God says if you'll give me the best, man, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. So we want to honor the Lord, and it says honor the Lord with your possessions. What you know? What does that communicate? It communicates that we are worshiping the giver of the gift, not the gift itself, because we we will regularly fall into this. Uh, This place where we are worshiping the creation. We're worshiping the gift instead of the giver, instead of the creator. And so this is saying, thank you, God, for what you've given me. You're the giver of every good gift. I'm giving you back the first and the best. In gratitude to how you have provided and in faith that you will continue to provide. And you'll do so generously. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. This is a fascinating verse. Last book of the Old Testament. So God's temple, his priests, the temple services, all of this depended on the tithes of the people. That was the only way that these things were going to function and operate and operate well. It was based on the support of the people. It was up to the generosity of God's people to maintain the overhead. It's always been that way, even in the Old Testament worship system. And you remember last week, Malachi he came and he indicted the people for what? Giving God the leftovers. Remember that? Just giving him whatever was left over. And so, um, God was greatly offended by that, greatly offended by that. In fact, it was a, remember I said it was like a one-to-one correlation. Their offerings, God looked at that as worship. And he said, that's, that's, that's weak worship. He was offended by that. God said, if you'll take care of my house and my ministers, I will take care of you. That's what he's saying here. In fact, God said, put him to the test on this. That's what's so crazy is because usually the Bible says, what, do not test the Lord, right? Do not tempt Him. But here, this is the only place where God says, test me in this and see. If I don't pour out so much blessing, it can't be contained. And so it was the people's place of worship and the ministers, they were the the people's ministers. There's like ownership here. You see where I'm going with this? There was a part they had to play in the overall good. The people had an obligation to God and to the house of worship for it to be able to function well. And so we'll look at our last uh, last little text here in Haggai. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. I'm making good time on my stopwatch, but I also have to remember I gave that little spiel in the beginning about the, uh, the other stuff. So, you know, I think we're still doing all right but we're almost done. Cool? At least I think we are. This could turn into another 30 minutes. I'm just kidding. It won't. Okay. So we talked about Malachi. Well, there's another minor prophet in the Old Testament that corresponds to Malachi, sent to the same people around the same time. Anybody know who it is? Hmm? Haggai. Who said Haggai? Good job. Yep, Haggai. Did I already say Haggai? Did I already give it away? I gave it away, cheaters. (laughs) Well, you were listening. Good. Okay. Well, in Haggai, kind of the same issue. People, uh, I'll I'll just read the verses and I'll I'll explain. So in Haggai chapter 1, verse 3, it says that the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying... Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. So the book of Haggai might not be too familiar to us, but remember after the the children of Israel were taken captive to Babylon, that's where the book of Daniel was, Nebuchadnezzar, all that. That was the 70-year captivity. After that was over, they came back into the land and they began to rebuild. And so they started to rebuild the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel and Ezra. So the book of Ezra is recounting for us how they were starting to rebuild the temple after it had been sacked by the Babylonians 70 years earlier. Well, the border people were highly, highly um, suspicious, and they didn't like the fact that the Israelites were back in the land trying to rebuild. So they did everything they could to frustrate the building of the temple. So what did the people do? They backed off. The people backed off. They stopped building God's house And they started working on their own houses. And uh, instead of working on God's temple, we're told God, you know, Haggai uses this language, you're building for yourself paneled houses. Now, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like what he's saying is it's some kind of an extravagant thing. You guys have beautiful paneled houses, and God's house looks like a... In my notes, I have crack house, but I'm not going to say it. I was just trying to get a laugh, but I just didn't want to get too edgy there. Uh, God's house was in disrepair. It looked terrible. But, man, they were, they, they, their houses looked great. They were living lavish, right? But they were neglecting. I'm sorry if I made somebody mad with that right there. You know, you have to be cautious, and I don't want to, you know, um, sorry. And so you get the point. You get the point. You know, God's house was in disrepair. And the people were living in extravagance. And God said, that's all bad. That's all bad. And he says, if you do that, no matter how much you try to build up for yourself wealth and security and comfort and luxury, it's just going to drain. It's going to go nowhere. So God said, you've got to go up to the mountains and bring down wood and build my house. He said, that's what is going to glorify me. And that is what I will take pleasure in. That's heavy, is it not? this principle cannot be more clear. There's nothing wrong with having things and being wealthy. We're all filthy rich compared to most of the world. We are. We really are. And so that's not an ungodly thing. It's not an ungodly thing, but we have to be careful to give God His part. We cannot neglect the work of the Lord and the house of the Lord for our own security, safety, comfort, uh, luxury even. And so, These things were important. we got to be careful to give God His part and to sow into His work. There are real necessities that have to be cared for, tended to. And we cannot be uh, negligent of these things. There remains a real need. There remain real needs to support God's house, God's work, God's people. Right? A need to support financially. I'm just being real with you. And so I'll kind of close right here, but I just wanted to close on really where your support goes and where the needs really are. So uh, everything I've said up to this point, that makes sense. God's grace empowers us to give. We understand why we want to give, and we understand that God blesses us when we do give, but we understand that giving is in a very real way part of our Partnership, our ownership of what's happening here. We're all in this together, right? And so I just want to talk about that. First and foremost, you know, keeping the building and the utilities going is no joke. And so, like, if people weren't given it all, we wouldn't even be in here right now. We'd be at the park somewhere. And so, you know, just recognizing that there are things that have to be taken care of here. If you want, sound and lights and shelter and you know central heating ladies i know i can have you all freezing in here sometimes but uh water coffee donuts on and on the list goes those things cost right and so we depend upon you know all of us collectively being generous so that we can even have those things And this building it always needs more work there's always things going sideways that we're having to invest in and that's one of the most costly things to us is Updating and things like that. So we recognize that on a basic, foundational level, we all have an obligation to give for that reason, right? And so if you come here, if you consider this your church, then we all have to chip in to be able to even be able to do this, right? And so if that went away, then all of this would go away. But uh, I would also say supporting the pastors. Now, you know, I'm good. I praise God for what I have and I'm not wanting more so I can get more. And usually I would this would be the point right now where I would be down on my knees apologizing and pleading with y'all to please don't be mad at me, things like that. I'm not gonna do that. You know, but I am thinking about my other pastors here. Uh, we're blessed to have men here that serve and serve sacrificially, and, and what I can tell you is that with every pastor there's a wife who is serving as sacrificially, if not more, and they don't get paid. And so we got people that are being paid very sacrificially in the first place. Like, they're, they're really sacrificing to try to make it on what we can give them. And then their wives are serving too, so we're getting a two-for-one there, really. And that, you know, bums me out, but it is the way that it is. But not only that, we had to cut four people this last year. We have, you know, X amount of money that we try to spread out and, and cover as many people as we can. And some people get more than others, but we had to literally cut four, four guys out. You know, so Pastor Aaron, Pastor Joe, Arturo, our Spanish pastor, and Austin Cava, we were trying to kind of support those guys by faith, and we finally just had to call it. You know, and that's, that's moving in the wrong direction. Because I can just say that we want guys to be able to be freed up To serve for the good of the church if we want the the worship ministry to serve us well if we want the uh the youth ministry to grow and be robust if we want you know uh all of the things that come with having men in place to to provide to support and serve we have to be able to support them amen we got to be able to support them and so um just being real with you, we had to cut all of that and then really strip things way down, strip things way down uh, to b- below a bare bones kind of a deal. And so just being honest with you, that's that's where we have been over the last several years, and that's, you know, where we are. And I'm excited to see that throughout January into February, I'm seeing a, a shift, and it looks like God's moving in the hearts of his people, and we're seeing some cool things happening there. Um, but I just want us to really lean into that this year, folks. I want us to lean into it because I want us to be able to support. We're blessed to have the kinds of people we have here, and I want us to be a church that can support their pastors so that the pastors can be here to support us full-time. Amen? Believe me, that's a worthy cause. If that doesn't stir you to fill some buy-in, I don't know what would. I mean, that would be real fruit to your account. When When you give to support pastors... When they are serving and there's fruit from their service, that that accrues to your account. God blesses you for taking care of His ministers who are serving other people in all kinds of ways. you got to think like that. Supporting the bridge ministry. You know, man, have we not seen God do incredible things through that ministry? We started a year-long residential recovery ministry a couple years ago, and God has just blessed it like crazy blessed it like crazy but we don't charge the guys it's incredibly expensive it was a total step of faith now that we're not supporting pastor Aaron we're taking another step of faith and going to see if we can start to he can draw an income from the bridge ministry it's a brand new thing they've been serving sacrificially the bridge for these 2 years not receiving anything from the bridge and i mean it is a 24/7 on the clock kind of a job it is life consuming their whole family is given to that and so, I want us to support the bridge more so that the bridge can support the Mosleys, right? You know, I praise God, Grace Church has partnered with us in this, and they have supported the bridge uh, in incredible ways. I do not, I don't want the bridge support uh, being supported better by Grace than by us. It's our ministry. We started it, right? And so, I want us to support the bridge. So. just a practical application, you know, let us, you know, I'll talk more about giving next week and kind of practical ways, um, amounts and things like that. Um, But let me just say today, I would encourage us to start giving something monthly to the bridge. $5, $10, $50, $100, whatever you can do. Let all of us in here collectively commit to giving to the bridge. You can put it in an envelope, put it in the box in the back, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. I would love for us all to do it collectively so that we can support that ministry and support the Mosleys. It's crucial. It's critical. You know, supporting missions, we used to have nine missionaries, now we have one, you know, and so uh, the, the Goose, and so they're in Mexico, and, you know, we want to step that up. We want to do new missions. We want to, um, I'm not trying to discourage you guys, it's just kind of been the, the trend for years. Um, you know, we want to plant new churches in hard-to-reach places with local pastors that, you know, we, we could never get in there ourselves and plant churches. We want to support that kind of work for the gospel. And then we, have a, we do have a robust benevolence ministry. We help people with car repairs, mortgage payments, groceries, gas, hotels, and crisis Counseling situations, if it's beyond our ability to to help here, we will see to it that they get the help they need somewhere. We're committed to that as shepherds of the church. If we can't do it, we can own that, but we're going to see to it that they get the help they need somewhere, you know what I mean, from people that we trust and respect. Your your giving goes towards that. Scholarships uh, for people who have needs, you know, uh, as I've already mentioned, like retreats, uh, school, various things that we can help with. these are just some of the things that benevolence goes towards and so these are all very biblical. this is all stuff that the Bible says we should be giving for. And so I'm grateful for the generosity of our people. We got some folks in here who are incredibly generous and I thank God for it. thank God for them. I don't know who they are. I don't need to know, but I know that they're here and I thank God for it. And I want to encourage uh, I want to encourage the folks who maybe haven't, made this a discipline in their life up to this point, to to lean into it, step into it by God's grace, to hear from the Lord and give as the Lord would lead you, but to do something, to begin to work towards supporting the ministry of Calvary Napa and the bridge uh, as well. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you very much. You're so good. You're glorious. You're worthy. And we praise you collectively here today. And I thank you that you have received our worship and our praise as a sweet-smelling aroma because we're in Christ. I thank you for the praise and worship. I thank you for the giving. I thank you for the people who have served here today. I thank you for the love and the prayers. I thank you for all the ways in which Christian fellowship has happened here today. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. And please help us, God, to be a church who begins to have a a culture of generosity, giving regularly to the needs, giving sacrificially, giving generously, giving consistently, really believing that we have ownership here and buy-in into what's happening, recognizing the the necessities for what they are and giving to that end. And so, God, it's by your grace that's the only way it's going to happen. I commend us all to your glorious grace, for it is abundant and it does abound toward us in Christ. So thank you that we have all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I trust, Lord, that you will perfect this in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen, and God bless you all. See you next Lord's Day.